Now when he, that's Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. On the um, 30th of September 1938, uh, Neville Chamberlain stood outside Downing Street and addressed the nation, saying these words, My good friends, this is the second time in our history that there has come back from Germany to Downing Street peace with honour. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts, and now I recommend you go home and sleep quietly in your beds. Sorry, patronising tone from a different era that we might uh, recoil against today. But of course, tragically, Neville Chamberlain was utterly naive. It was not peace for our time. By that stage, war was unavoidable. And Jesus is saying today in these words, when we come to uh, the last couple of these Beatitudes, blessed bees, that actually for the Christian, war is unavoidable. You have this very strange contrast in these last couple of Beatitudes that we're going to look at today. Blessed are the peacemakers, and then blessed are those who are persecuted. The Christian is one who is both a peacemaker, but persecuted. There is both war and peace. And Jesus says that that's the way it is. There's an inevitability about that. Uh, we've been working our way then through these uh, Beatitudes. And we've said uh, week on week, it's a description of what the Christian looks like. This is a, a total description of a normal Christian. Life in the kingdom, that is, belonging to Jesus Christ, it's like this. You can't pick and choose. You can't look at this list and thinking, ah, pure in heart. Mm, nice. Peacemaker, mm, yes, I think I'm one of them. Persecuted, uh, no, they're a package. <laughs> you can't pick and choose. This is a normal description of the Christian life. So we come to these last two, blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are those who are persecuted. And uh, uh, we're going to uh, work our way thinking uh, just these few questions really. What is a peacemaker? And if I'm honest, that's most of what we're thinking about. But then very briefly, why are they persecuted and how should they respond? What is a peacemaker? That's what every Christian is meant to be. What is a peacemaker? Well, it isn't simply an appeaser. Ultimately, Neville Chamberlain, he may have bought the country a little bit of time to rearm it, a little amount, but he did no ultimate good in it. He didn't secure peace through his policy of appeasement. And that's not what a Christian is to be, just brushing everything under the carpet and pretending it'll all go away. That's, that's just utterly naive. Sometime conflict has to be addressed uh, head on. But positively, I think a peacemaker is someone who addresses conflict in an attempt to lessen tension, seeking resolution. And you might want to think of it in three different directions. I mean, I'm sure we could cut it different ways. But it struck me 
Uh, the Christian is one who's concerned uh, with divine, personal, and social peacemaking. Let me uh, work through that. Uh, a divine peacemaker, that is reconciling man and God. Well, Christians are supposed to be involved in that work. Now, uh, ultimately, the work of Jesus, that's Jesus' work to reconcile man and God. But when Christians talk of that, explain that, that, says Jesus, is peacemaking. And of course, most people who, who you speak to, and you may be sat here thinking that uh, this lunchtime, most people think, well, me and God, we're fine. I leave him alone, he leaves me alone, all is well. There's something, you know, there's not war, indifference maybe, but there's certainly not war that requires peace. But I would say that's not, that's not right. Uh, a few years ago, in 1982, uh, the nation of Argentina invaded the Falkland Islands, uh, Las Malvinas, and effectively thought, well, the UK won't mind. I mean, goodness, they're economically, they're in turmoil. They're about to lose their prime minister because she's so unpopular. Uh, and really, well, they're not going to fight for a few sheep and a few hundred people. So we'll invade and we'll nick them because we wanted them for years. But of course, the, the reaction of the government, very different. Actually, those islands are ours. <laughs> and our honour is at stake. Our reputation in the world is at stake. And... <coughs> We're going to fight for them and get them back from you. So the reaction was perhaps a little unexpected. But it certainly wasn't indifference. Those, those islands are ours and we want them for our honour. Well, there's a sense in which God, God's attitude is like that. God made us, created us, gave us our talents, gave us our abilities and says, you're mine. And, and I want you to honour me, to recognise that, acknowledge that. Uh, and I'm not indifferent if you go away. I care about that. And actually, if you run away, there is enmity. There is war between us. Now, you may not feel that. If you're not a Christian, you may not feel at war with God. But you are. And one test is, how, how do you think about some statements that you could make of Jesus's? What about Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No. What do you think of that? Or Jesus says, uh, that's John 14, or Jesus will say, Mark 9, um, you need a new heart because your heart is wicked and depraved and at the moment you'll burn forever for an eternity in a place called hell. How do you feel about that? So I'm guessing if you're not a Christian, you don't like that. You think that's not right. You may have real objections to that. That's because your relationship with God is, is one currently of war, enmity at the moment. That's why we need Jesus Christ, the supreme peacemaker. We're at war, but he is the one who can provide peace. He is the one who reconciles. He died to reconcile man and God. And when Christians talk of that, they're involved in peacemaking. Christians are peacemakers. And I think that's the primary, sort of fundamental sense in which Jesus is speaking. So there's the divine. But it's also personal. Personal peacekeeping, that's just your own life. Reconciling conflict in your own life. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've said, the one who is poor in spirit, that's how the Beatitudes begin, is humble in how they relate and how he or she relates to others. You're able to uh, put aside self-interest 
not constantly be concerned with defending your reputation. You can make the first move to establish peace where there's a conflict. And naturally, we don't want to. Uh, growing up, I don't know how many siblings uh, you had. I had just one sister, and we get on wonderfully now. Uh, but we have a fairly intense sibling rivalry. We managed to argue over most things uh, growing up. And uh, one of the most pitiful that uh, I can think of, every Sunday lunchtime in the Fuller household with the Sunday roast was fizzy drink day. Every other day was water, but on Sunday, fizzy drink day. So very exciting for the kids, because uh, we, we had a choice. Would it be Coke, orange, or lemon? Fizzy, very... My sister, one week, myself the other week, got to choose which it would be. That was the most important thing of the week. That was the highlight. Now, on some weeks, we couldn't remember who, who it was last time. Was it you? Was it me? Was it you? Was it me? And we'd argue and argue and argue until mum would say, right, that's it, water again. <laughs> and, um, and we both lose. We both lose. It's, it's pathetic, how silly. And yet, sometimes, sometimes we can be a little like that, even in our adult relationships, sadly. You might think of something in the office. Uh, I'm not letting him win. I'm not letting her do that. I'm not. And you have this little conflict. And is it over something big? No. It's a matter of principle over £100. Or a matter of principle over who's going to lunch first. Or it, for goodness sake, you're, you're arguing like a child. Stop it. Be a peacemaker, for goodness sake. Look to resolve conflict. Now, not an appeaser, again, not someone who just sweeps everything under the carpet. Sometimes the way to secure peace is to apologise. Sometimes it's actually to confront and say, look, there's a problem here, and we need to address this. But the peacemaker makes the first move in personal conflict. And he's able to do that because he's not so concerned with their reputation all the time. Now, there's a reality. The Bible would have a reality. Uh, Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, there's a reality. Sometimes you just can't do it. Poor Neville Chamberlain couldn't have peace. And sometimes it's just impossible. But often, often, there'll be a small cost making the first move, saying, look, I, I'm sorry I said something out of turn that made you roar in my face. But the, uh, you may have to make the first move, and you may feel, really, it's not my fault, but a peacemaker, personally. So there's divine peacemaking, personal. And then lastly, social, which I think, I mean, reconciling warring parties in society. Is this a call for Christians to get involved in conflict resolution between two individuals in the workplace, between employer-employee disputes, between warring factions in society? Yes. I think it is. Now, a natural inclination on those who think, oh my goodness, I can't get, oh, I can't get involved in that. Well, I'm going to be wise and not get involved. Just let them to sort it out. And that is a decision. It's a wisdom decision. Sometimes it's good to get involved, sometimes not. But I think our default setting is, what's their issue? I don't know anything to do that. Um, whereas a peacemaker will look on and think, can I help? I don't want to be the busybody. But actually, if I am one who is a Christian, known as a one who is poor in spirit, one who is humble in how to relate to others, 
it may be that someone will come along and say, yeah, I can li- they'll listen to me and understand. And they can help resolve the situation. Now, don't be naive. Sometimes you just can't do that. You know, in society, it's no good. Let's get the Labour Party together and the Conservatives and say, can we just not... You know, can we just not get together and share love and all agree on the same? I mean, you can't do that always. It's not, it's not realistic. But sometimes, sometimes you can. As a minimum, I think it means, from elsewhere in the Bible, 1 Timothy 2, pray. Pray for those in authority over us. Pray for leaders. Pray for conference season. Pray for government. Pray that where there are disputes in society, that there'd be some reconciliation. You can pray, but... I guess, crucially, the Christian church is to be a different community. But collectively, they model something different. A community which is of peacemakers, who can get over their little pride and reconcile with their differences. And in that sense, maybe we can make the biggest difference. So what is a peacemaker? Well, I think um, there's a divine sense, a personal sense, and a Social or society, cultural sense. More briefly then, why are, per, why are um, peacemakers persecuted? Are you trying to do the right thing? Well, I give a hard time. But Jesus says it quite clearly. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, if you're persecuted because of righteousness, of, because of Jesus then you know that's a good thing. It's no good. Some Christians are, let's admit it, some Christians can be unpleasant and uh, they can be slightly aggressive and confrontational all the time and someone has a go at them and say, well, I'm blessed because they had a go at me. Well, no, you're just actually unpleasant. Um, That doesn't do anyone any good. Uh, Thank you very much. Jesus is saying, blessed if it's because of him. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's interesting that people will insult you, persecute you, lie about you if you're a Christian, says Jesus. If you're a Christian, universal popularity is impossible. You'll never have that. So for those of us who are Christians, let's acknowledge that, let's be realistic. If you're not yet a Christian, you need to understand that. Universal popularity will never be yours if you're a Christian. The condition of being insulted and lied about, that's as normal mark of Christian discipleship as being pure in heart or being merciful. Why? Why? Because this is what happened to Jesus. This is what happened to Jesus. And if you're a follower of him, you've got to expect it. Jesus, lots of people didn't like him. He was different. He provoked envy, hostility. People killed him because of what he said and how he lived. And if you're trying to be anything like him, there'll be an echo of that in your own life. If you live like Jesus, you'll be treated like him. Some people will find your life intriguing, attractive, compelling. Others will find you challenging, annoying, irritating. But the Christian is not bland. Never bland. If you're living this out, never bland. Now, there's a caution here. Jesus isn't saying every Christian will always face hostility from everyone. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, but if you're a Christian, 
There'll, be, there'll inevitably be at some point in your life, in some situations, where you do get a hard time. People will lie about you, insult you, because of what you believe and think. That's normal, says Jesus. If there's, and if you don't know that, if you've never known that and you've been a Christian years, that might be because there's no righteousness on display. People don't see anything different about you. A Christian is one who attracts or repels, but never bland. I was talking to uh, a church, a composer who's in the congregation, very successful, you know, done Hollywood scores, that sort of thing. And uh, he's a fairly intense character. He's saying, oh, I've composed this new thing. And as with all my music, I, I don't mind if they love it or they hate it, as long as it provokes a reaction. Indifference, that's the worst of all. Love or hate, I don't mind. And he said, oh, okay, interesting. I mean, if I was you, I'd pursue love. It's probably more lucrative. Um, and uh, you'll get more compositions from uh, doing it that way. But I guess I understood what he meant. Um, and just so there's a sense in which that's true of the Christian. If you're living a distinctive Christian life, some will find it attractive, some will not. But never bland. And of course, it's much better if people find it attractive. Not lucrative, but more helpful in pointing people to Christ. So why, why are the peacemakers persecuted? Because they're trying to live like Jesus did. And he always provoked a response. So you've got to expect that. But lastly, how should they respond? How should they respond? <laughs> Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. So not retaliation, I guess we know that. Um, not rejoicing in persecution, that will be perverse. You've insulted me. Brilliant. That's another good day today. It's not that. But rejoice because, sorry, first of all, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus is saying that the fact that you would be willing to endure persecution, that is a sign that you're a child of the kingdom. That's a sign that you're poor in spirit. That's a sign that you belong to me, says Jesus. Just so the prophets, I mean, verse 12, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Anyone who really stands up for me, well, you're, you're going to have a hard time. And if you keep going, if you, if you endure the, the lying, the insult, for the sake of Jesus Christ, he says rejoice, because you wouldn't do that if you weren't mine. You wouldn't do that if the kingdom of heaven wasn't your home. You just wouldn't. You'd cave in and give up and go home. Rejoice and be glad, he says. Now, some object to this sort of language. Some might hear the language of Jesus and say, oh, yes, look, Christians, they're just fundamentalists, aren't they? Willing to die for what they believe. You know, that's dangerous and risky. Look, please don't say that. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, die because you love people. It's revolutionary, yes. It's a radical way of living. But it's a way of love. He's saying, love people. And if you get persecuted for that, well, so be it. Be, make the effort to be a peacemaker. Seek reconciliation. Look, if you get persecuted for that, so be it, for my sake. It's that sort of radical revolutionary. But rejoice and be glad, says Jesus. For great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven. The chap who uh, uh, cuts my hair uh, is called Adi. He's um, a Kurdish Iraqi. He's a lot of fun. He's been in this country years and years. He's got a great sense of humour. The first time... When I moved to where we live, uh, there's one, two hairdressers on the same street. I went in one, looked through the window, you know, 12 quid a haircut, okay. Went to Ardi, seven quid. 
I said, Ari, why do you only charge £7? And he's £12 up the road. He said, well, you come here, you get one worth £7. Shrugged his shoulders. <laughs> Take it or leave it. And I thought, well, fair enough, that sort of honesty, here I am. But he's, uh, he's, a really, he's, in, he's an intriguing guy. He's a, uh, a Kurdish Iraqi, uh, escaped from Iraq during the um, Sunni Kurdish civil war you know, a, a couple of decades ago when he was a youngster, um, when his father in particular had been imprisoned under Saddam Hussein. And he loves the UK. I can't, you know, I can't tell you. He's so pro-UK. It's, I mean, it's nice, slightly odd. But um, he's, because this is, this is his home. His family was being uh, imprisoned. So he's come here and he's been given a new life. He thinks it's a wonderful place to bring up his children. He thinks it's a place of safety. You know, he's now got two businesses or two, um, two barber shops. You know, he thinks he's wonderfully successful and secure. He loves the UK. Last year he went back to Iraq for the first time. And very beautiful where he comes from, stunning. You know, the lakes, mountains, the Kurdish region. He showed me a lot of photos. Um, uh, uh, I mean, he owed me by the time. Um, uh, very beautiful. I said, oh, yeah, how was it? What was it like going back? So why well, it's interesting. I got a real hard time when I landed. You know, passport control. You're, you're an Iraqi, aren't you? Yeah, yes. Why have you left this country? Why have you got a British passport? Why have you left? You're weak, pathetic. So you're given a hard time and you had to go through you know, strip searches, etc., etc. And even when he went back to where he'd come from originally, he saw some of his old relatives that he didn't really recognise. But again, they gave him a hard time. Come back here, come back here, come back here. I said, oh, so it was miserable, really, going home. He said, no, no, no. Lovely to go home. Lovely to see the countryside. Lovely to remember where I was brought up. And I didn't care what they said. Because the UK is my home. And I was coming back here. And I have property here and family here. And my life is invested here. So I thought I had a hard time back there. Because he's a citizen of, in his mind, a better kingdom... And Jesus is saying, you can endure anything now if you know that your home is the kingdom of heaven and you'll go and it's a better home, a better kingdom, a better king, a wonderful ruler. And if you know you're going there, well, you can rejoice. <laughs> you can hear what people say. You can rejoice. So rejoice and be glad, says Jesus. If you're a peacemaker who endures hostility, persecution, because your home is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. <coughs> Our Father, the, these words of Jesus, they are, they are unsettling, as they often are. He doesn't encourage us to uh, be comfortable or take life easy. But Father, he does hold out wonderful, wonderful promises that uh, for those who... Uh, come to you, uh, trust their lives to you, who are poor in spirit and say, we need you. We need you to reconcile us to God. There are wonderful promises here that our home is in heaven, that our kingdom is uh, a much greater one. And so, Father, would you help us? By your spirit, would you give us who are Christians, the determination to stand for you, to live like Jesus Christ, knowing that at some points in our lives, people will lie, people will insult us. But that's okay, because we want to love them by speaking of you, 
and we know our reward is great in heaven. And Father, for those of us who may not yet know you yet, would you help, help us understand more of these things, more of how wonderful it is to follow Jesus Christ, why it would be worth enduring persecution to know that our place is in the kingdom of heaven. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, never, never straightforward Jesus' words. Uh, um, one of them, if you can, stay for a few minutes, grab another sandwich, and uh, you might ask one another, you, you know, how do you get on with this sort of peacemaking? Uh, and if you think, well, not very well, well, it's okay. There's always more grace. But um, why not to encourage one another to uh, talk about these things a bit further? Grab me if you've got a question. But otherwise, um, lovely to have you with us, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.